Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to the worship team. Thank you so much for being here today. Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. And for those of you watching online, thank you for joining us online today. So glad that you're there. If you don't have your Bible at home with you, wherever you may be, it'll be on the screen here in just a moment. Matthew chapter 5. And for Rossville, thank you for being at a Rossville campus today. Man, great, great attendance last week at Rossville. Thank you, Corbin, for all you're doing there as well. Matthew chapter 5. So I'm in this sermon series called The Difference, right? We're in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was trying to tell us what the difference is between a follower of Jesus and an unbeliever, right? Like those who follow Christ, here's a certain way they ought to live, and and those who don't follow Christ, they don't live this way, and so there's a gap. That gap between a Christ follower and a non-Christ follower is what shines a light on the gospel. So there needs to be a difference between our lives and the world's life because that difference is how they see Jesus. That difference is what draws them to Christ. That difference is what makes them understand. Christianity is real. The Bible is real. And so we we move into Matthew chapter 5 in this third sermon. We've already looked at our attitude will draw people to Christ. We've looked at that salt and light passage about how that draws people to Christ. Well, today I want to look at another subject, and that is this. Jesus said the difference is this, that believers are a people of the book, the book. Let me, let me spend a few minutes here this morning. Let me ask some questions. Let me do a straw poll, okay? Straw poll. How many of you like to read? Let me see your hand. How many of you like to read? Oh, wow. Love it. All right. How many of you would rather see the movie? Let, let me see your hand. Okay, a bunch of y'all too. All right. How many of you would rather read the book though? I'm a rather read the book guy. I, I don't mind the movie, but I get mad when the movie gets different than the book does. And so I'm a, I'm a rather read the book guy. H- here's a good question. How many of you are reading a book right now? Let me, let me see. You got a book going on. Oh, that's awesome. That, that is awesome. Books are interesting things, right? So you wonder sometimes... How many books are there where the best we can tell, research will tell us this, and this goes back to 2010's, the newest number I could find. There are 129 million books in existence, 129. So I don't know if you're like me, I read a lot of books. I think I've read 10 books so far since January this year. And so I I start thinking sometimes, well, I'm going to run out of books to read. I got plenty of reading material. There are 129 million books. How many, uh, how expensive are the books? So I want to know what's the most expensive book that's ever been sold. Has that thought ever crossed your mind? What's the most uh, expensive book? Well, it was sold for $30.8 million, the Codex Lester by Leonardo da Vinci. And do you know who bought it? Uh, Bill Gates bought the book. It set him back. It took him a whole hour to earn, earn that money back after he, after, he bought, after he bought the book. I've moved most of my book reading online. As a matter of fact, I started investing like in commentaries. Uh, I started back in 2001 investing in um, all my theology books are on the computer now. I have a 
computer program that, that where I generate all my study. And I started back in 2001 where the program I had had three disks you had to load into the computer and get to study. But I've invested in it every year since 2001. And right now I estimate that I personally have spent about $20,000 on my theological library that I have. But it's all online. But if you're like me, and most of the books I read are on my Kindle now, most of the books I read, uh, I do Libby, the library app, and check out a lot of books through the library so I don't have to pay for them. Uh, but do you like the smell of books? How many of you like the smell of books, right? Paper, uh, right? Do you know that's actually a thing? If you like the smell of books, and I do, it's called bibliosmia, and that is a, that is for those of us who still like to take a book and flip it open and smell the paper. It's weird, I know, but you like it. What's the longest sentence ever printed in a book? The longest sentence? 823 words. In one sentence, Victor Hugo, Victor Hugo's uh my French is terrible. La Miserable has a sentence that's 823 words. You know what the first book ever written on a typewriter was? The first published book ever written on a typewriter. You'll never believe it, but it's Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. And guess what people, what nation reads more than anybody else? Do you think it's America? Reads more books than anybody else? You, you think it probably is one of the, you know, Japan or somebody? You Missed it, it's Iceland. Because what else is there to do? When you live in a place that's called Iceland, there is nothing else to do. It's not like they're on the beach in the summertime or the wintertime. Iceland reads more than anybody. And finally, finally I'm done. I love this stuff. What, what are the three most read books in the world? What books are influencing us in the world more than any other books out of the 129 million books what books are influencing us more than any other book anybody guess what number one is the bible you'll never guess what number two is influencing more people quotations from Mao Zedong right that makes sense China it's probably required reading memorizing over there or they put you in a camp somewhere but uh, the bible influencing people Quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong influencing people. The number three, the, the book that's influencing more people in the world than any other book. You've got these, you know, religious book. You've got this, you know, kind of quotations, a, a manifesto from uh, in China makes sense. And the third book that's influencing people more than any other book in the world literally is Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. I don't know about you, but this just doesn't fit with these two. I don't understand, Harry, Harry, and I've never read the books, but Harry, Harry Potter. Right? Books are interesting things. We have a love affair with books, and books have literally changed the world. But for the child of God, there is one book that has made all the difference in the world. It is the best-selling book at all time. And best I could tell when I did the research, we estimate that the Bible has been sold more than five billion copies sold. It is the most read book of all time. It is the Word of God. 
And it is the Bible that is supposed to be the difference between us and the rest of the world. It is the Bible that is supposed to be the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, between a believer and an unbeliever. It is the Bible is supposed to be our guiding light. It is the book that has guided Christians for thousands of years. It is the book that has comforted Christians during the greatest hardship. It is the book that has guarded Christians and kept them on the straight and narrow. It is the book that has encouraged Christians when times got tough. It is the book that has corrected Christians when we got out of the way. It is the book that grew Christians when we first came to the faith. That book is the Bible, and it is the difference between us and a lost and dying world. Hear me, you don't, I don't preach on the Bible. It lied, I preach from the Bible every week, but hear me, it is an inerrant book, an infallible book, and an inspired book. That means there is not one error in here. It will never lead you wrong, and it's straight from the mouth and the mind of God. The Bible will never, ever let you down. And it's the Bible that Jesus was telling his disciples about in Matthew chapter 5. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it in Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said this, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, or what we'll call the Bible. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. You you remember the old King James, it was not one jot or tittle, which were Hebrew markings in in the language. Verse 19, therefore whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Jesus had just told us that our attitude and our actions ought to be different. Now we learn that our lives are to be governed by something greater than us. Hear that statement. Your life as a child of God ought to be governed by something greater than you well what's supposed to govern our lives it is the bible the word of god that is supposed to be the governor or the ruler of your lives our opinion and our actions are not to be shaped by culture by a political party by friends by our emotions or even by our own thoughts we are to be people of the bible And the difference between us and them is this book. So Jesus told us our reaction, what our reaction to the Bible will be. Four things he told us in that passage. Number one is this. He said we ought to trust the Bible. Trust it. Jesus said in verse 17, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but fulfill. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. You have to grasp this, that he did not come as a rabbi with brand new teaching that he had thought up and hoped to convince everybody was true. Hear me. That's what what, uh, teachers did. That's what cults did. That's what new age people did even in Jesus' day. 
They would come up and say, well, you've never heard of what I'm about to tell you. That's not how Jesus worked. Instead, Jesus came as the promised Messiah with a message heard from the beginning of time. Jesus didn't go back and say, well, you've never heard this before. Jesus went back and say, let me take you back to Genesis. And let me show you how the Messiah was prophesied even in Genesis. And Jesus said this. He said, I did not come to, notice this word, to abolish the law or the prophets. That word abolish in the Greek is the word invalidate. Jesus said, I didn't come to tell you that the Bible is not true, that the word of God is not true. That's not what I did. He said, I came to, to not abolish the law or invalidate the Bible. I came to fulfill the Bible, literally in the Greek, to fill something up or to give it its true meaning. The promises in Scripture, the principles in Scripture are not invalidated by Jesus. No, they are fulfilled by Jesus. Well, commentators will tell us that that word fulfilled means can be taken in one of three ways or even all of three ways. Number one, it means to accomplish or obey the Old Testament laws, as Jesus would have called it then, the Old Testament. Well, we know that Jesus obeyed the old testament because the bible tells us that he died having never sinned he he fulfilled the law the ten commandments that came from moses from mount sinai jesus never broke one of those he fulfilled them obeyed the old testament laws number one number two it could mean that he was coming to bring out the full meaning of the law in prophecy that he was showing how christ is the fulfillment of all that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And we see that all throughout the Gospels, especially he, where it said, it, Jesus said, you've heard it said in old times. So he would say how the Messiah was fulfilling it. Number three, fulfillment to bring out the Old Testament law and promises to their destined end or intended completion. Or in other words, Jesus was saying, that promise you had in Genesis, watch me as I go to the cross and rise again. I am completing the promise that was given in the Old Testament or in the Bible, as we would call it. Either way, any one of those are true in Jesus and all three of those are true in Jesus. That he said the Bible is not rescinded, but because the Messiah is here, must now be reinterpreted and reapplied in the light of Jesus. So here's what Jesus said. In other words... Jesus did not do away with the law or the Bible, as we would call it. He actually reaffirmed the trustworthiness of the Bible. And Jesus said this, yes, everything you read in the Old Testament, you can trust. Everything you read in the Bible, you can trust. Jesus didn't do away with it. What he did was let us know that we could trust it. Here's what he was trying to tell us. That the word of God is here to stay. You know what that means? That means that Bible you hold in your hand. If you have it, put it in your hand right now. Put it in your hand. If you have the Bible, put it in your hand. Hold on to it for a second. That means that this book is not outdated is not irrelevant, is not antiquated, is not old-fashioned, is not obsolete. This book you hold in your hand, hear me, is the living, breathing Word of God. And Jesus didn't come to kill it. He came to conform it, to fulfill it. Here's what that means is that you can trust the Bible. 
If Jesus said this book can be trusted, by the way, it can be trusted. And can I tell you this? There is very, very little you can trust in our culture. Can you trust the news? Can you trust the internet? Can you trust social media? Can you trust your friends' opinions? Can you even trust your own thoughts and your own heart? No, you cannot, but I can trust the Bible. In a land where you can trust very little, I can still trust the Word of God. You look just at the news. Here's what we know about the news. That media trust worldwide has dropped by 8%. I'm shocked it didn't drop more than that. In 2020, only 29% of U.S. adults said they mostly trust news media. Who in the world is this? I mean, 29% is low, but come on. 52% of Americans say they regularly encountered fake news online. 67% of adults say they've come across false information on social media. The other 33% just haven't logged in in a long time. What in the world? Social media is the least trusted news source worldwide. Fake news statistics show. 56% of Facebook users, boy, this is, hey, hear me. Everybody look this way. It's so good. 56% of Facebook users can't recognize fake news that aligns with their beliefs. So if you see fake news that validates what you believe, you share it even though it's fake news. Just hit pause before you share something. In the third quarter of 2020, there were 1.8% billion fake news engagements on Facebook. That's not in a year. That is in a quarter. In a quarter. And 21% of readers believe that the New York Times is very accurate. Now, I don't know if you read New York Times. I I read it quite regularly. Um, I don't, I don't know who this is. This must be the employees at the New York Times, and we're finding out even most of them don't believe it's accurate. They know better. But I'm glad to report today that I saw this article that Eminem took a knee uh, during the Super Bowl halftime show in a heartfelt tribute to Tim Tebow, and I just wanted you to see that. Uh, that is fake news, by the way. That is very fake news. But I said it, and you wanted to believe it, Right? Here's the truth. None of it is trustworthy. They all make mistakes. So I want to tell you, in a day and age in which we can trust nothing that we read and nothing that we see and nothing that we hear, you know what is trustworthy? Is the Word of God can be trusted. That means when the Bible says the way of God is a success, trust it. When it says lean not on your own understanding, trust it. When it says Jesus is the only way to heaven, trust it. When it says honoring God with your finances and tithing leads to financial freedom, trust it. When it says loving God and loving people are what we will stand before God and give an account for one day, trust the Bible. Listen to me, don't debate it, don't argue it, don't question it, just Trust it. How much do you trust the Bible this morning? I'm afraid what most Christians do is we add a little bit of Bible and a little bit of culture 
in a little bit of our opinions, and that's how we make all our decisions in life. A little bit of Bible from a verse we know about half the words to it, a little bit of culture, a little bit of our opinion, sometimes a little bit about what grandma said, and that's how we make our decisions. That doesn't separate us from a lost and dying world. You know what does separate us from a lost and dying world? When we wholeheartedly trust this Bible. You know, even when it says things we don't like, even when the Word of God says things we don't like, you say, preacher, there are things in there we don't like? Well, of course there's things in there we don't like. There's things in there I don't like. There's things in there I wish God said it the other way. There are things in there I wish were, that are wrong that I wish were okay, and there are things that are okay I wish were wrong. There are things Jesus is going to talk about. Jesus in a moment is going to tell you to love your enemies. Nobody wants to love your enemies. If you want to love your enemy, then it's not your enemy. We don't love our enemies. But even when the Bible says love your enemies, you trust it because if it says it, then do it. It can be trusted. How much do you trust the Bible today? I mean, how much do you trust this Bible? How many times do you read a verse and you're like, well, I know I know, I know the Bible may say that, but this is 2022 after all, and technology, no, no, no. This book never, never gets outdated. What separates us from a lost and dying world? We trust it. Number two, Jesus says what separates you from a lost and dying world is we believe it. He said in verse 18, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the or, or one stroke of lever, a jot or a tittle will pass away from the law. Jesus said, I, I tell you the truth. Truly I say to you, or some translations say, verily, verily. That signals what he's about to say is of vital importance. In these words, ascribe the highest authority to the law of God. That not only did Jesus fulfill the law, but here's what he said. Until heaven and earth disappear, meaning till the end of the age, the law will not change. So is this Bible ever outdated? No. Is this Bible ever antiquated? No. Is this Bible ever old-fashioned? No. Here are the two until clauses in verse 18. He said until heaven and earth passed away. That is, the eternal validity of the law is established. Or the second until clause until everything is accomplished, which means the, the plan of God is finished on earth. He said, until those two things happen, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be set aside or will disappear from the law or the Bible. In Hebrew writing, some letters are very small. The Hebrew letter Yod is the smallest letter. Others are distinguished by a slight stroke of a pen. Jesus upheld the truth of every letter of every word in God's law. And Jesus' statement certifies the absolute authority of every word and letter of Scripture. That Jesus' plan will never change. That everything prophesied in God's law will take place. That, get this, no promise or prophecy or principle in the law will remain unfulfilled that everything shall be accomplished. So here's what that means. 
that I can believe every single promise and principle in this book. And when human fads are gone, the Bible will stand. And when the world's philosophy is gone, the Bible will still stand. And when the culture's latest craze is gone, the Bible will still stand. And when the talk show advice is wrong, the Bible will still stand. Hear me, there isn't a principle in this Bible that you have to wonder whether or not it's true. It's all true. When the Bible says, thou shall, you'd be better off to believe you should. And when the Bible says, thou shalt not, your life would be better if you believed you should not. When everything else has fallen, the the word Jesus told us is that the Bible will still stand true. You know, they tell us only two things that will survive a nuclear blast. Do you know what those are? You know what the first thing is? Cockroach. Right? And they get that from after we dropped the bombs on Hiroshima in Japan, cockroaches were seen crawling through the rubble. Now, here's what we know about radiation and atomic bombs, nuclear blast. That humans die at a thousand rads of radiation. But cockroaches, it takes a hundred thousand rads of radiation. So yes, they can survive a hundred times more radiation than a human can. But they can't survive a nuclear blast because the heat melts them. But what they can do is move back in immediately and occupy land that we can't survive. So is it true that cockroaches can survive a nuclear blast? No, it's not true. The second thing they say that can survive a nuclear blast is a Twinkie. Have you heard that, that Twinkies can survive a nuclear blast? Well, I did a little research. And come to find out, as durable as you may think they are, a shelf life of a Twinkie is not eternity. The shelf life of a Twinkie is 26 days. So I just want to tell you that if, you're, if your emergency food supply is stocked full of Twinkies, you have been led wrong. As a matter of fact, the oldest Twinkie in existence that we know about is 43 years old, and it's sitting in a glass case in a chemistry class at George Stevens Academy, and the cream has vanished, and the Twinkie has become a hard brick-like substance. And I tell you that to tell you this, Twinkies aren't all that great, great after 26 days. That they don't survive very long either. Most of the world's philosophy, most of the world's insight, most of the world's wisdom, hear me, has the shelf life of a Twinkie. What you watch on the news is good for a few days, maybe. What you hear on a talk show is good for a few days, maybe. You say, well, preacher, where am I supposed to get my advice? Well, I'll give you a good idea. 
Psalm 119 says, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Look at this. Psalm, First uh, Peter 125. But the word of the Lord endures. Say this out loud with me. What is it? Forever. How long does the Bible last? The Bible lasts forever. And when human philosophy is gone and you can't believe what you hear in the talk shows and you can't believe what you hear on the news and you can't believe what you hear on social media, hear me, you can believe the word of God. All truth is from the Lord, but it's the truth in the Bible that you should believe and build your life around. Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you building your life around? That's what separates us from a lost and dying world. That's the difference. Is that we believe the book and we build our lives around the book, the Bible. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us are building our lives around the Bible? How many of us run across a thou shall and say, you know what? I'm not doing that, but the Bible says I should do it and I think I'm going to do it because I believe it. How many of you run across a thou shalt not? And you're doing it. You shouldn't, but you, you're, you're in the should category. or You're in the doing category. How many of you say, look at your wife or look at your husband or look at your kids and say, honey, you know, we're living our lives this way and the Bible says we shouldn't, but look, we're just going to change our living because I believe the Bible. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will pass away. Not one letter or punctuation mark will pass away. The word of God can be believed. What do you believe? If you say, well, preacher, I tell you what I believe, and anything comes out of your mouth that's not in this Bible, you should drop it and pick up the word of God. One, Jesus said, trust it. Number two, Jesus said, believe it. Number three, Jesus said, do it. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teach others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does, is and, teach, whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Since all the Bible is valid, Jesus gave us a warning, get this, not to dismiss any of the Bible. So guess what? We don't get to arbitrarily decide what we'll follow and what we won't follow. When we do that, we teach others they can do that as well. So that's what Jesus said. When he's talking about teaches one of the least of these and one of the children, another passage, Jesus said, look, when you're arbitrarily deciding what parts you want to obey, you're teaching others that they can arbitrarily decide what parts they want to obey. Now, hear me, hear me. I'm going to help you, but I'm gonna, it's going to hurt in the process. Do you know why we have a hard time with our kids following Jesus? Because they see us discriminately and indiscriminately follow teachings of the Bible based on our own wants and desires. And so they see you as parents. You, don't, you won't say it out loud. You, 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 but you live it. And you pick and choose what you want to obey and not obey. And so here's what you teach your kids. You say, well, I don't know why my kids are acting that way. Well, I'll tell you why. Your living taught them they could 
choose, pick and choose what parts they want to obey and disobey. You say, well, they're doing things I never did. No, you taught them the principle. The principle was you get to choose what you obey and what you don't obey. Y'all all right? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, Jesus said, just obey all of it. And when you obey all of it, the parts you like and the parts you don't like, then guess what? You teach the validity of the word of God. So our admonition from scripture is just this, just do it. When we pick and choose what we'll obey, we, we leave a terrible example for those who watch over us. You have to be thankful for modern medicine, right? When science and technology, uh, before science and technology, really biology took hold, uh, people did some weird stuff in the name of medicine. Now, I, I, I know today we have a lot of disagreement on what makes good medicine or not, but we don't have near as much disagreement as we did back in the day. For example, back in the 19th century, if you had a lot of arthritis pain, they had a, they had a great remedy for arthritis pain. And it was this, they want you to sit inside of a rotting whale carcass for 30 hours. Doctors prescribed it. They would tell people with, with arthritis to go sit inside of a rotting whale carcass for 30 hours straight and it would get rid of joint pain for 12 months. But it didn't work, but people kept doing it. One of the more famous ones in the 19th century was bloodletting. Doctors would drain the blood from your body to cure all kinds of ailments. That goes against Scripture. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. It didn't work, but doctors kept prescribing it. And then my personal favorite. If you had an aching tooth, Egyptians back even before the 19th century, Egyptians... If you had an aching tooth, would make dead mouse paste. And they would mash up dead mice and blend it with some other ingredients, basically making some kind of weird toothpaste from dead mice. And they'd tell you to rub it on your tooth. That didn't help your pain, but it did give you some bad breath along the way. And a whole lot of infections. Why would somebody prescribe such craziness for medicine? I'll tell you why. Because they saw somebody else do it and said if somebody else is doing it, it must be the right things to do. Why? Because we're just that gullible. But when it comes to the Bible, hear me. That's why it's so important that you obey and do every part of the Bible because people watch what you do. Can I tell you this? You are the Bible that some people will see until they meet Jesus. Don't pick and choose and lead people astray. Just do it. I'm afraid too many Christians have what I call selective scripture disease. We read through our Bibles and we're like, yeah, that, uh, I don't want to do that. Well, this verse is okay. I, 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 can do, I can do that verse. Well, that next one's a humdinger. I'm not going to do that one, that's for sure. I don't know who Jesus thinks he is. I'm not doing that. Uh, but I, I'll do the one, I'll do part of that next one. I'll do part of it. 
And we go through our Bible just selecting like it's a buffet. Hey, this ain't a buffet. This is the Word of God. And you're to obey every part of it. You say, preacher, that's hard. Do it anyway. Preacher, that's impossible. You do it anyway. Preacher, that's counterintuitive to what Oprah said. Do it anyway. It's the Bible. And then number four, I'm finished. Jesus said, you ought to trust it. You ought to believe it. You ought to do it. Number four, you ought to accept it. He said this to close it out. He said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's talk about the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, you know from your Bible, there were the Ten Commandments, right? You know that from your Bible. Uh, we, we get that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. I, I can't quote them. I can sing the Ten Commandments. You know, number one has just begun. God just be first in your life. Number two, the idol rule, those graven images aren't nice. That's from my children's church days when I used to preach children's church. I can sing all Ten Commandments to you. And they all rhyme. They all rhyme. They don't in the Hebrew, but they do in my song. They all rhyme. There are Ten Commandments. But the Jews had went on to discover 1600, uh, excuse me, 613 other laws from the Old Testament. So you got the Ten Commandments and then 613 laws that were in the Ten Commandments. Now there were 365 negative commands, one for every day of the week, and 248 positive commands. And then they had taken the 613 laws and they had written a massive commentary on the 613 laws that had subcategories and sub-laws. And so the, the commentary on the laws was book after book after book. And it was a whole lot of righteousness, but it was self-righteousness. And not a person listening to Jesus thought they could get beyond that righteousness. That's how a scribe became a scribe and a Pharisee became a Pharisee and a Sadducee became a Sadducee. They devoted their lives to minding that commentary on the Old Testament. Not what Jesus said, but what man had said about what uh, God had said. And Jesus came along and he said this, yes, you should trust the Bible. Yes, you should believe the Bible. Yes, you should do the Bible. But hear me, none of that will get you into heaven. So Jesus wanted to give us a little warning as he closed it out. You need, to, you need to trust the Bible for sure. You need to believe the Bible for sure. You need to do the Bible for sure. But none of that's going to get you into heaven. And Jesus closed with a commentary on salvation. None of the law can save you. None of the Ten Commandments can save you. None of the 613 other commands can save you. None of the man's commentary on it can save you. In order to be saved, you need something better than that. Paul told us in Romans what it was. Romans 3.10, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The whole purpose of the Ten Commandments was not to save us, but to show us we needed to be saved. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God commends his love toward us, and even though we're sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. Here's what Jesus was saying. Accept that and you can be saved 
and you can be different. Don't get hung up on obeying the Bible in order to be saved. We don't obey the Bible in order to be saved. We obey it because we have been saved. We have to accept what it says about Jesus in order to be saved. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. Read research this week that says people who would regularly attend worship services live on average longer than those who don't. Ohio State University conducted two surveys. They studied 1,500 newspaper obituaries from Ohio. And when they studied them, those that showed a documented religious affiliations lived an average of nine and a half and five and a half years longer than those who did not. So you could live five to ten years longer if you had a documented religious affiliation. Why would that be? I'll tell you why that is. Because if you go to church, you tend to be a person of the book. And you stay away from those things that will cause an untimely death. Trust it. Believe it. Do it. But what's five more years of life here if you spend an eternity in a place called hell? You have to accept what he says. 52% of people in an evangelical church still believe good works will get you into heaven. Hear me, the Bible says it will not. There's none that does good, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me. Stand with me. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. You may be here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus closed out with a word for you. You need to accept what the Bible says. Salvation is as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit you're a sinner and can't save yourself. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sin and rose again the third day. And C, you have to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved shall be saved. Have you ever done that today? Do you know for sure that Christ is in your life? Are you here this morning still trying to work your way to heaven? Are you watching online still trying to work your way into heaven? Still hoping you can do good enough to get to heaven? None of that will get you to heaven. It takes Jesus and you have to accept that. If you're watching online, Jeremy's got a word for you about that just now. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that, uh, that great message. And I love this sermon series, The Difference. Uh, and Pastor Joel, over the last few weeks, has talked about what is it about us that should be different? Like, what is the difference between um, people who are far from God and those of us who claim to have a relationship with Jesus? And it's been a challenge to me. And uh, this week, we talked about what makes the difference in our lives. It's the Word of God. And we've got to trust the Word of God. It's got to be the foundation of our faith and practice. Everything we do um, should be based on what we read and know in the Word of God. Not just parts of the Bible, but the whole book. And um, that's so important and really foundational in the life of the believer. And maybe you're watching this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's as simple as you understanding what we talked about. God's Word says um, that we're all sinners. Um, it started in the Garden of Eden, and ever since then, we've all been born 
with a sin nature. We've got to be willing to admit that to God. We've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. He, he, he came, He lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross, He was buried, and on the third day, He rose again. We've got to believe that. We can't just believe it. We've got to believe that the blood that He shed pays for all of our sins. And then we confess Him as our personal Lord and Savior. When we do that, we become a Christian, we become a part of the family of God. And maybe you've never done that this morning. God has spoken to your heart and you need to give your heart and life to Him. Tell God this, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I ask you to come into my heart. Take away my sin. Be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, we want to say welcome to the family and we want to connect with you because here's what we know. You can't do this faith journey alone. God created us to live in community with other believers. And we want to help you take next steps. And um, so if you would... Um, you can pull out your phone and text I did, I D I D, to the number 97000. We're going to ask you a couple of questions, get your phone number, your email address, and um, I'm going to get uh, I'm going to get those responses, and I want to connect with you this week. Hey, it's been awesome to be in God's house. Don't forget to download your invite card. Be praying for the people that you're going to invite to Easter at Peavine and get ready to send that invitation. It's going to be a great day uh, together with God's people. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>